to be part of somebody's healing journey where they are told they don't know what their chances are in life, how many years they have left, or if this treatment is going to help them. And they've been cut open, they've had body parts removed, they've been burned with radiation, they've had lymph nodes removed, they've had chemo running through their body, they're weak or they're destabilized. Then to see the transformation that occurs in that six months or that year, whatever journey that takes for them, to they, they will often say to me, am I ever going to be like my old self again? And I I don't like to answer that because what happens is they become more beautiful. They typically don't go back to their old life. They create a new life that's even bigger and greater and more rewarding and more beautiful with a be more beautiful relationship with their body and with their relationships to their environment and to people in their life. And I just feel really honored to be witness to that transformation in people. When cancer enters your life, things get real very quickly. Today I'm speaking with Lisa Gainsley, certified massage and lymphedema therapist who works primarily with cancer patients. Lisa talks about how her journey of exploration, beginning with the academic study of cultural anthropology and religion, her training as a healer in various modalities, and her eventual specialization in the lymphatic system brought her to the meaningful work of facilitating others in their own healing journey. She also talks about how her mother's experience with lung cancer and death when Lisa was 12 years old set her on a path of working with cancer patients as well as her own healing, wellness, and care of self. I'm Diane McDaniel, and this is Real Cancer. Thank you, Lisa, for joining me today. I wanted to start with just having you tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got interested in wellness, and specifically in working with people who have or have had cancer. Well, first of all, it's such a privilege to be here with you, Diane. Thank you so much for having me. And what you're doing, I think, is so fantastic. Oh, thank and I'm you. Really proud of you for doing this. It's great. I suppose my introduction to wellness came when my mother was sick. When I was 11, my mother was diagnosed with cancer. This was probably 1979 or 1980, right around there. It must have been 1979. And a lot was not known about cancer or the side effects of treatment, or how to help yourself with that. She had lung cancer. She had us do a type of meditation called Silva Mind Control, which sounds more cultish than it is. It's actually not a cult. But it's basically about teaching yourself guided visual imagery and how to, quote-unquote, go to level, which anyone who's done any meditation would tell you that when you do meditation, it takes you down into a certain state of calm in your body, and they have different levels that they call alpha or beta levels so, of So relaxation. this was your mother who helped you with this meditation yeah, we did technique? Yeah, we did it as a family. A friend of our, my parents, he led these meditation courses, and we'd go to someone's house, and we lie on the floor, and I remember looking up, and they had 
wood beams kind of like you and you would go to level and you would um create this happy environment mine was a tree house there you would bring helpers along with you to go inside somebody's body and help heal their disease mm. through guided imagery so my mother had tapes for herself of lotus blossoms and ponds and waterfalls that she'd listen to and I would lie down next to her I would lie down in my own bed and I would go to level and I would go inside of her body and you know help try to cure some of those cancer cells or you know move them out you know and bring family members or whoever into her body and help so we all were educated in that and it was really helpful and she started a macrobiotic diet which as you can imagine in 1979 to 1980 was not that easy to do and she would cook meatloaf for us and she would go to the little health store the one that was actually in the movie Valley Girl for anybody out there shout out to that place on Ventura Boulevard and she'd buy kefir and other things from the store there and she you know worked pretty hard to cure herself through diet as well as chemo and surgery and she was in and out of hospitals for a few years after her treatment for lung cancer it came back in her brain mm. so she had um brain surgery and more chemo probably radiation i don't know this was all between the ages of 11 and 13 and then at one point when it returned in her lung I remember we went out to MD Anderson in Texas and um spoke to some of the doctors about what else we could do for her and um cuz she had read a book that some hitchhiker had wrote about how she hitched a ride from some guy in a pickup truck who he- healed himself of cancer through a macrobiotic diet. Right. Suffice to say that was not her experience and she passed away when I was 13. I was a pretty lost grieving soul as you can imagine at that age. I have an amazing brother. Actually, I have two amazing brothers and an amazing sister and an incredible father who my half brother and sister, they're half brother and half sister and they grew up in Chicago. So we really grew very close and took great care of each other and um a year later my father remarried. My stepmom had couple children from her first marriage and we became this blended family and I was 14 and let's just say that was not easy <laughs> but yeah. my stepmother gave me some great gifts that I'm eternally grateful for which is she immediately handed me a book called Motherless Daughters mm-hmm. yeah. by Hope Adelman and this was 1984 and there was not a lot of research either and there was not a lot of books on girls who've lost their mothers and that was great benefit she got me a nutritionist which helped me lose some weight and took me shopping and she um she mothered you yeah she tried and she got me into therapy mm-hmm. anyways so to answer your question in high school um i drank a lot of alcohol and i did my share of drugs i'm not going to deny that <laughs> Right. And you will see how much you want to include in this podcast. <laughs> But anyway, I'm not ashamed to say that I was a rebel in high school and in addition to drinking a lot, I got st- interested in eastern thought. Mhm. My upbringing is Jewish and 
and I feel a great pride and reverence for my religion. But for the spiritual questions of basically what is the meaning of life, which at 13 and 14 and 15 and 16, 17, I, I really grappled with because in high school I had friends, but I could not relate to some of the superficial shopping and boys, even though I did shopping and boys, I just, I couldn't relate to some of the things they were going through. Right, you, you've been through something very intense. So I studied, I went to the Dutton's books, used to be on um, San Vicente, and I went and I went to the Bodhi Tree bookstore on Mel- off of Melrose. And I remember it. remember that. And I studied Hinduism and Buddhism and Taoism, and I got so much comfort and understanding about what we can control, what we can't control, and it really helped shape some of my philosophy on what can we do is to try to live a meaningful life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. And what I found in gaining weight and drinking and doing things to my body to kind of handle the grief and all the change is I really found as I lost weight and started exercising, I wasn't in high school one of these sports people. I was the kid who got out of sports by taking driver's ed all the time. And what I, f- I found yoga when I was 17. And I found that the more comfortable I became in my body, the more I could release some of my grief and some of my sadness and some of my fears. And so pretty much since those early days of studying meditation and visual imagery and learning Eastern religion and learning about movement and learning about how do I inhabit my body? I was not, I've always struggled with weight. I wasn't somebody who was just born with, you know, no figure. I was, you know, I'm a zaftic. I mean, you know, I'm a, I've always had some love handles and hips and things and breasts, and which is all lovely. I now appreciate my, I do appreciate my body. But, you know, I wasn't, I didn't have a boy figure, which a lot of my friends did. And so I have really worked for 30 years to have a gorgeous organic relationship with my body at every stage of my life, including pregnancy and including menopause and all of these changes that my body goes through and to love it if I'm 10 pounds overweight or if I'm a little, well, I'm never underweight, but how can I inhabit my body and be in joy has been a relationship, my relationship with wellness and healing in my own body. Yep. For a long time. Yeah, absolutely. How did that experience, the very devastating experience of losing your mother to cancer, your own struggles afterwards, being a teenager on top of everything else that was going on with you, your explorations of Eastern philosophies and wellness ideas, um, your own experiences with your body, how did that bring you to the discovery that you were interested specifically in working with people around cancer? When I went off to college, it was 1987, and I went to San Francisco, 
And I took classes in yoga and ceramics and anthropology and had an amazing time. And I really loved my courses in cultural anthropology. And that became my major with a minor in religious studies. And my thesis was on the integration and assimilation or lack of healing modalities from people and cultures around the world. How does the West accept some of those modalities or not accept them? And again, this was 1987 to 1993 or 92, whatever it was. And at that time, Eastern methods of healing were not as assimilated as they are now. And I was really interested. I really wanted to pursue that, but I didn't, I was very cognizant of the fact that I did not want to become one of these quote unquote white Caucasian armchair anthropologists who go into other cultures and tell other people how they live. So I thought, okay, well, I'm going to go into a healing modality myself. This way I can go explore as what we called in the profession, an insider so that I would go and just learn, say, this is what we do in my culture. Let's see what do you do in your culture. And so after I graduated, I went to massage school in Marin County, which if anyone's ever been Marin County, it's the best place to go to massage school because <laughs> you're surrounded by redwood trees and California and you're outdoors. And one of the re- prerequisites of the class was of the um, to get your certification was lymphatic massage. Mm. And... Wow, I loved receiving it, and I loved practicing it. And my teacher, Patricia Wiltsey, she became my mentor. She, I cannot say she's, she's passed now, but she had golden hands, and she taught us Tai Chi and Qigong and the relationship between our bodies and our minds and how we our sensitivity and working with people and how to use our intuition and how to have respect for the science, the Western body of the lymphatic system and how it relates to the immune system. And I, at the time, had a lot of digestive issues and some acne and it cleared up a lot of my bloating and digestion and some acne. And I loved I loved it. And there were three levels. Level one was the beginning, intermediate, and advanced. And I was in the intermediate. And I remember we were sitting around in a circle, and she says, if you're interested in taking the advanced course, this will lead you, this work can lead you down the road to working with cancer patients. Mm. And I just went like, ah, oh, it was li- quite literally one of the those they talk about Oprah those Oprah aha moments, like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm. I love it. And it brought me back to lying in bed with my mom and going to level and helping with guided imagery to help alleviate some of, even though guided imagery didn't save her life, it alleviated some of the side effects of her treatment, which is what lymphatic manual we call it manual lymphatic drainage it is different than a massage and we're very specific in the lymphatic community about our choices of words so sometimes we will use the word massage because most people understand massage but it's very different from massage 
So, yeah, everything kind of came together for you at yes. that moment. Yes, and I went on to, there's a component of, uh, in the lymphatic work, in, is in the viscera, the visceral organs in the abdomen. And that is a great, a huge part of the lymphatic system. And so after I graduated from massage school, I assisted her courses at the school for about three years. So I worked with the manual lymphatic drainage and organ abdominal massage for about six years. Then I went and studied with her abdominal massage teacher. It's, the, it's called Chine Song. I studied with her teacher, Gilles Marin. He's in Berkeley. And then I studied with Gilles' teacher, Montauk Chia, in Thailand. And then in 1999, I got a, uh, you have to get another certification if you want to work with cancer patients in what's called complete decongestive therapy. And the school that I went to in 1999 is called the Academy of Lymphatic Studies. And I studied with Joe Suther in Florida. It's a two-week, very intensive program. And there's four components. One is the manual lymphatic drainage the non-massage massage, <laughs> and skin and nail care, exercise, and compression bandaging, compression garments, and there's elements of teaching people about exercise. And that's when I went to work at UCLA Medical Center. And then in 2007, I was interested to know what's new in the field, and I got in, went to a different school that offers certification, Steve Norton, the Norton School of Lymphatic Therapy, and I uh, redid my certification learned more advances in the field and I now assist the certification programs when they come through Los Angeles with the Norton School because they travel all over the country. Okay so we've dived into the lymphatic system and so I think that uh, we should probably just talk about what it is for people who have maybe heard of it before but don't really know what it is or never heard of it. Your lymphatic system moves like rivers similar to your bloodstream, goes through areas where there are lymph nodes, and once the lymph nodes have done their work to clean out the toxic waste product, the fluid gets returned to your bloodstream. So it's a really important system to keep moving. The Lymphatic system does not have a central pump like the heart does. It depends on your muscle movement. There's a large network of valves and capillaries and ducts that move the fluid, these one-way valves that absorb and move fluid. And so it depends on your muscle movement to encourage lymphatic flow back to the venous system. And you can increase and optimize that through manual lymphatic drainage. So the toxins that uh, certainly I'm thinking about uh, chemotherapy and the toxins yes, uh, yes. during that time and uh, why you would want to uh, keep moving them out. But what are other problems that people or reasons why people need to have a lymphatic uh, massage? That's a great question. So uh, that's something that I'm trying to really educate everybody about, which is everybody can benefit from manual lymphatic drainage. Anyone who's ever experienced any bloating, any inflammation, and if you are trying to detox, whether it's from a really fun weekend, um, any anyone who has acne, anybody who has a sports injury, any kind of trauma or injury, 
It's also really beneficial before and after surgery where there's inflammation. There's also been lots of studies that are that are being done about how it can help with the parasympathetic nervous system, allowing your body to heal. When somebody is pregnant, we have people get swollen ankles, mm-hmm. lots of water retention in their body. Anyone who is seeking to optimize release of toxins and help prevent colds and flus. Right. Okay. How do you generally work with patients specifically who have cancer? When I first started working at UCLA Medical Center, this was in 1999, our head physical therapist at the time, she used to go to the Rhonda Fleming Mann Breast Center and talk to people right at diagnosis and say, come into our clinic and get yourself educated on the signs and symptoms of lymphedema. And at that time in 1999, we were getting people at the clinic with huge lymphedemous limbs, two to three times the size of their other limb, sometimes with gaping wounds, oozing wounds, the toxins were just oozing out. Hmm. They'd gone for five years, 10 years, 15 years, none of their doctors could figure out what was wrong with them because there wasn't this awareness of the understanding of lymphedema as widespread as it is now. So what our head physical therapist was seeing was, and her name is Kathy Tarte, she's terrific, nice shout out to her, to say, let's get people early on. Because as my teacher, Patricia Wiltsey used to say, the lymphatic system will swell a hundred times beneath the surface of the skin before it's visible to the naked eye. So people after surgery would say they would wake up and they would feel an achiness or a heaviness in their limb if they've had lymph nodes removed or a mastectomy or surgery for ovarian or gynecological cancer or even non-Hodgkin's lymphoma when they remove lymph nodes. So before swelling is in a very chronic, visible state, we would start educating people. But at that time as is still the time, insurance won't pay for that. Mm -hmm. So I started to see a need for working with people right at diagnosis. And Mm -hmm. I went to to private practice probably around 2001 in Los Angeles, and people just started to hear about me. I pretty much just been word of mouth for 17 years where people will just hear how manual lymphatic drainage has helped them through cancer treatment. So Oftentimes, if somebody is going through cancer treatment, let's say they have chemotherapy once every three weeks. I don't work on them for the first week. We, we want to wait, and we want chemo to do what it's got to do. I have right. great respect for chemotherapy and how many lives it has saved. I like to encourage somebody before they're going in for their next round of chemotherapy mm-hmm. to help alleviate some of the side effects and prepare them to receive the next set and it can help them with if they have sores in their mouth it can help them if they are having neuropathy they cut nerves when they do surgery and it can help rebuild some of those nerve messages so people have feeling again and to really kind of diminish some of the inflammation and bloating from the side effects of treatment right okay just to reflect a little bit on your ongoing journey 
What have you learned yourself from working with people with cancer? That question might make me cry. (laughs) Of all the questions, you know, it's really just been a real gift and a real um, privilege. (sighs) To work with cancer patients... They're some of the most grateful people I have met in my life. They're some of the most, uh, some of the most rewarding relationships I've made in my life. They are, they are usually so open and honest and intimate and revealing and. Um, you're able to really connect with somebody so deeply and to be able to see somebody, to be part of somebody's healing journey where they are told they don't know what their chances are in life, how many years they have left or if this treatment is going to help them. And they've been cut open. They've had body parts removed. They've been burned with radiation. They've had lymph nodes removed. They've had chemo running through their body. They're weak or they're destabilized, not to make people feel worried about cancer treatment because it saves their lives, and I'm a big fan of it. But then to see the transformation that occurs in that six months or that year, whatever journey that takes for them, to they, they will often say to me, am I ever going to be like my old self again? And I, I don't like to answer that because what happens is they become more beautiful. They typically don't go back to their old life. They create a new life that's even bigger and greater and more rewarding and more beautiful with a more beautiful relationship with their body and with their relationships to their environment and to people in their life. You're an example of that, Diane. Well, I see that all the time. Yes, that's true. Yeah, and I just feel really honored to be witness to that transformation in people. It's a great honor. Right. I, I expect that's sort of what keeps you interested in doing this work. It is. And, you know, there's a couple things. One of my teachers last year who taught the certification program through the Norton School, her name is Maureen. Shout out to Maureen. She's awesome. She was saying that for every 100,000 people who need manual lymphatic drainage because they have lymphedema, there is one therapist. And I've seen this. There's a high demand for this work. Kathy Bates was just on the TV show Doctors. She has recently become a spokesperson for the Lymphedema Education and Research Network, bringing more awareness to how we need more research for people to understand and to how, how how they can cope with lymphedema. But what I've noticed in my work and what I've been doing with the lymphatic message that I've been creating is there's a need for everybody to receive manual lymphatic drainage, and it needs to be everywhere. And that is a new passion of mine. If somebody already has lymphedema, they can, and I can speak on how they can find a therapist in their area through the National Lymphedema Network, which is another organization and their web address is www.lymphnet.com you can go onto their website and you can find 
the schools that provide the certification for this work. And you can type in your zip code from one of the schools like the Norton School or the Close School or the Academy of Lymphatic Studies in Florida. And you can find a therapist in your area. And beyond that, before somebody gets cancer or before somebody gets an illness, we can all use some benefits of optimizing our lymphatic systems and cleaning out. There's so many toxins in the environment. How do we clean up our own lives? And there's been great movements with diet and nutrition and finding meat that have no hormones and organic foods and plant-based diet, which I'm a big fan of. And yes, there's physical therapy and different types of massage modalities that we can go and massage our limbs till we're blue in the face. But the thing with the lymphatic treatment that I really want people to understand is most of your lymphatic system rests superficially underneath the surface of your skin before the muscle bed. Mm. So when you go to a spa to get a deep tissue massage, they are pressing beyond the lymphatic system to get to the muscles. And look, I enjoy a deep tissue massage too. Sure. But if you want to affect those delicate lymphatic networks and vessels, you have to stay in that interstitial fluid, in that plane above the muscle layer. And they are specific strokes and movements to encourage the, that fluid to those lymph nodes so they can filter out and remove the toxins and keep your fluid moving. So that's my latest passion is to get the word out right? that everyone I could meet anybody on the street and tell them how they can benefit from manual lymphatic drainage. I'm sure it's a system that so many people don't even know is part of their body. They may have heard of their lymph nodes, but just really understanding how how they are connected to each other and how they're connected to a bigger system and how they're connected to your blood flow and their role in immunity and, and toxic um, toxin removal is very helpful to hear about. Beyond the type of treatments that you provide to your clients, what recommendations do you have for gaining or regaining wellness? First, I would would say that I think that that is different for every person, most likely, and that each person will find what that is for them, whether that's some people I know have found wellness in community and in prayer or support groups. I know that people find wellness in the foods they eat. I will say specifically for for me, I really believe strongly in the power of the foods that we eat and our nutrition. And I do believe that that is different for everyone. And I also believe in not being too rigid. I believe in working to find freedom in my body. And sometimes that is through yoga. Some oftentimes that is through hiking. It's always a part being part of nature in the mountains or in the ocean. I love to swim. I love to be in water, whether that's a bathtub or a pool or a hot tub, just find me a river anywhere. And I will be in that. I also find wellness in relationships and this is what I see actually a lot for myself and for my clients which is really not engaging in toxic relationships in your life Hmm. and I really since I was 13 that was that became pretty clear to me that 
I really don't engage in people who are toxic and I try not to engage in people who try to bring other people down. And sometimes we have to have acquaintances that way or sometimes we have to deal with people like that, but I don't let that into my inner circle. And most of my deep relationships, that does not exist. And that is the one thing I do see with a lot of my patients as well, Mm -hmm. that they start to really look at that when they get sick, which is, wow, that person really is bringing me down. And I don't want to spend a lot of time with that person. Mm -hmm. I think that's really important in wellness. I also think some form of meditation, I don't do it regularly, I will admit, but I spent time when I was in San Francisco at Tassajara Zen Center and San Francisco Zen Center and um, Green Gulch Zen Center through yoga and restorative practices. Those are all really important to me. Family is also really important to me and um, I get great support and love through family and through friends. And the last thing I will say is self-care. For me, I'm usually, unless I'm out moving my body somewhere, I'm usually horizontal. By 9.30, sleep is really important to me, and I believe in that, that sleep has a great effect on the healing process. I'm also a big believer in tons of different massage modalities. And, um, yeah, take me to a spa, and yeah, you'll <laughs> I'm find a happy some- girl. <laughs> you'll find something to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All of those things are such good reminders. Uh, so often our lives get busy and it is easy to cut out that self-care and to put some of those other uh, things that you talked about, uh, ways of wellness to the side and uh, because we prioritize other things. And so I really appreciate you um, talking about that and just uh, those reminders that self-care is part of wellness. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming in. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Diane. It's really been an honor to be here. Thanks for asking me. Thanks. That's it for today's episode. We'd love to hear from you and find out why you listened and what you like about the Real Cancer Podcast. Please email your feedback to realcancerpodcast at gmail.com and leave a review on iTunes. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to Real Cancer on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow Real Cancer on Twitter at RealCancerPod. Until next time, I'm Diane McDaniel.